This is Inspiring Women. I'm Laurie McGraw. Please do subscribe because this week and every week, I'm speaking with amazing women who are making a tremendous impact on this world. And this week I'm speaking with three female CEOs and founders. They're coming out of the Hashed Health Incubator. So that includes Raylene Wilson. She's from Peer Supply. Molly Moore, she's building Bramble Health. And we also have Lee McCormick, who's building Platypus. These three women are doing the hard thing about hard things. And when you are a female CEO and founder, that means one of those hard things is funding 2.4%. That's all the money of all the money that there is that is going to female CEOs and founders. And while that is hard, they're also doing other incredible things like learning that they actually can be confident. They can go out and do things that surprise themselves. They'll tell you about that. And they'll also tell you about the concept of equanimity, how to be calm when it's nothing but tremendous activity and a whole lot of chaos, but they're doing it. So tune in every week to Inspiring Women. But now let's hear from Molly, Raylan, and Lee. This is Inspiring Women, and I am Laurie McGraw, and today I am speaking from Nashville, Tennessee, where I am at the Vive Conference, and amazingly, I have this opportunity to speak with three, not one, not two, but three female founders and CEOs of young startup companies. We're going to hear about them. They are all coming out of the Hashed Health Venture Studio, so they have the intersection of healthcare and blockchain in common and the fact that they are female founders and CEOs. So I'm talking to Molly Moore. She is the founder and CEO of Bramble Health, which is a provider services marketplace, a rational marketplace built on a blockchain technology. I'm talking to Lee McCormick. She is the CEO and founder of Platypus. Um, she spent 10 years in predictive analytics at a health plan, and but now she works with data scientists. She says there's not a lot of data scientists here at this Vive conference. Um, and I'm also speaking speaking with Raylynn Wilson. She's the CEO and found, co-founder of Pure Supply. She says there's no women in supply chain, but so she may not be the first. She may be the first. She will not be the last, but she is working on this amazing company. And these three women are tired. They have been pitching all day long. I believe they might have cocktails coming on the way, but Molly and Lee and Raylynn, thank you so much for being on Inspiring Women. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Where are the cocktails, Molly? That's what I want to know first. But tell me, before we get into that, because this could get a little giddy, so Bramble Health, tell us a little bit about Bramble Health. So Bramble Health was a company that I put together to solve sort of my own problem. Um, I've built networks for about 15 years in healthcare um, over the span of my 25-year career and there is not a good solution to build smart networks, meaning knowing what you're going to pay or see the quality before you go in and actually extend a contract between a provider and a payer. The emergence of value-based care models and accountable care organizations, it's pretty imperative that you understand what the costs are going to be of that downstream care and that you're able to execute agreements between primary care providers who are referring the care and specialists that are delivering the downstream care. And so I will be using cost and quality transparent information and a contract that sits underneath that to hopefully build smart networks nationwide 
um, in little accountable communities of care or work to make advanced primary care providers more successful in those value-based arrangements. Molly, there are a lot of companies that have come and gone that have been trying to work on marketplaces. And so what was important about the blockchain for you in terms of doing, was it the technology that was exciting or was it the problem? Are you seeing it in a different way? So the blockchain for me is about being part of a bigger ecosystem that's coming. Mm -hmm. So right now, healthcare and blockchain is they're still trying to find ways to leverage distributed ledger technology, smart contracts, et cetera. And the underlying tech that's actually sits under Bramble is the ability to transact healthcare using smart contracts. Mm -hmm. And today, no, nobody cares about that. That's not how we transact healthcare. Um, I care about it, but probably not a lot of other people. Um, that's not how we transact healthcare, but it might be in the future. Mm-hmm. And if we don't start building for the future today, then it's it's going to be hard for us to hurry up and get there when the rest of the industry has figured out ways to take advantage of blockchain. It's just healthcare was a long way behind cloud. I think there'll be a long way behind blockchain. Um, I'm not building for a use case for blockchain. I'm building a business that holds value in and of itself. But if I can actually leverage the most efficient technology, and that happens to be blockchain, I'm going to do it. Well, I'm going to want to ask a couple questions about blockchain because there has been some debate as to whether it's ready for healthcare. And all three of you are investing in it and spending considerable time. And you've got quite a bit of experience between the three of you. Lee, for your company, Platypus, so you um, are just somebody who knows a lot about health plans. And now you're working with data scientists and crowdsourcing solutions. So tell us a little bit about Platypus. Sure. So I am a data scientist myself by training, and I have spent years sort of in the inefficiencies of data science and not specific to healthcare, but healthcare is certainly falling victim to those inefficiencies. Um, And we as a healthcare ecosystem, we want AI and machine learning and data science to make every part of our lives more efficient, administrative processes, clinical processes, but yet the underlying foundation of data science and the process itself is inefficient. And so I'm here to solve that problem for enterprise data science organizations to make them really, I I love using this this tagline, but help them fail faster and innovate faster. Um, On average, it takes $200,000 in 10 months to build a data science project from design to deployment. Um, And a lot of those fail to deliver value. So we need to learn how to fail faster so that we can succeed faster in data science. Um, And so Platypus is really a marketplace that aims to enable data science organizations the ability to explore and consume what their peer groups have have already built, um, build upon it, share data in in the um, vein of trying to build more equitable data science across healthcare. It's also a collaborative network um, to bring a data science community that is always looking to solve extremely complex problems and oftentimes finds itself inside an organization just cleaning data, right? Those folks get bored, they leave. A lot of them go outside of healthcare, and then that just kind of uh, just makes the problem even. When you say data science, are you talking about data analytics and data insights or reporting? Like, what is the sort of, like, depth and breadth of that, you know, what data science means? (laughs) Data science is a very, if you want to think of a big Venn diagram, right? Machine learning and AI sit inside data science. Reporting and and, and, analytics. you know, basic kind of analyst uh, tasks sit a little bit tangentially to data science. So we're really talking about advanced analytics. Um, but that's, Platypus is not going to be agnostic to mm-hmm. just data science. 
audits. And so how do you um, allow organizations that do need better reporting, better quality metrics, connect into algorithms to quickly generate that or compare it to their um, neighbor down the street, right? So that we can start always building better quality algorithms, um, regardless if they're basic reporting all the way up to your you know, computer vision and, and large language models. Do you expect that you'll also be able to figure out just the complexities of data? There's a lot of bias in the big, large data sets, and certainly with the you know, generative um, AI that we're seeing, there's a lot of concern. I have a great deal of concern about the bias that's built into these large data sets that are out there. Is Platypus going to be able to acknowledge, understand bias or that's or dirty data? Is this is bias a new thing in dirty data? Yeah, so bias really stems from the fact that the underlying data you know, a machine can only learn from what it sits on top of. And in healthcare, a lot of what we want to be more equitable in terms of data and analytics, we don't supply the machine with the right data, right? So we're not serving under, um, we're not serving up data from underserved populations and vulnerable populations. We're not putting that into the computer for it to crank out the right answer. And so Platypus is meant to be a platform that really encourages all levels of maturity from the data science standpoint, from those who have just reporting, right, and just maybe one or two analysts on their team or nothing at all to be able to monetize their data and contribute that into the data science world so that everyone's models get better and equity really starts to play a factor when we're talking about data science. Just awesome to hear that you actually know quite a bit about this. I mean, this is, you know, not just the issue with platypuses sounding. Ten months seems like a long time. I, I think that sounds like a really short amount of time for these types of complex projects. And certainly the workforce of data analysts and data scientists, they're hard to come by. So I don't care how many tech layoffs are going on, needing those types of highly qualified people. Sounds like Platypus is going to address a lot of problems. Okay, Raylan, let's hear about you and let's hear about peer supply. You said there's no other women except for you in supply <laughs> chain. So I just want to, I just want to like uh, tag you with that. Yikes, I hope we can edit that part out. <laughs> um, well, I was just challenged in thinking back. Most of my mentors in the healthcare supply chain have been men and, and they've helped me get to where I am. But Really, peer supply exists to connect healthcare systems and their suppliers for a more efficient and resilient supply chain. And, you know, we mentioned that we've all been here pitching our companies all day long. 80% of my pitch, it feels like, is doing supply chain 101 because a lot of people just think of supply chain as this thing that's happening in the background. We don't necessarily understand how it works, but guess what? Three years ago when the pandemic hit, suddenly it was on the front page of every paper and we were all hearing about the issues. Um, what's surprising is today, I just talked to a health system last week that said their back orders are actually 30% higher than they were in the peak pandemic. So these, you know, we've moved on, media has moved on, but supply disruption is still impacting all of our health systems, all of the teams, all of the clinicians that are trying to provide care to patients, and they just need the supplies at the right time in the right place. I don't think I even have heard the word supply chain, you know, I would say for the first 20 years of my healthcare career, but in the past three years, supply chain is disruptive everywhere because of the pandemic. And while it might not be talked about as much. I mean, it's certainly those issues are still there. But Raylene, you have over eight years of supply chain experience before you started Peer Supply. So how did it become this like new idea for you? And what drew you to you know, not just do the work, which you've done at companies like Providence Health System and uh, uh, Valify, but how did you decide that you actually wanted to 
innovate and start your own company? Yeah, so at, at Valify, actually, that was a big launching point for me to be here at Peer Supply. Um, Valify was focused on purchase services and going around talking to health systems about purchase services. And what I noticed was this trend where every health system was like, yes, I would love to talk about purchase services, but I can't. All of our resources are all hands on deck dealing with back orders and these issues caused by supply disruption. And after about 10 of the same conversation where everyone's doing the same thing in a silo, I kind of took a step back and thought, there's a smarter way to do this. There's a way that we can all solve this problem together. So that's what Peer Supply exists to do, is bring health systems together, connect them with their suppliers, get that bi-directional data flowing so everybody can save time, save money, and pass that savings on to patients. Well, that is great. And I just also want to say for three women who are spending the entire day pitching their companies, um, you continue to do a great job with it. You really have the enthusiasm, the energy, and it sounds like the smarts and know-how to build some pretty successful companies. I know I'm rooting for you. Let's talk about some of the issues. You're all female founders, and you are all CEOs, and that means that you are one of few and less than there should be in the world of innovation. We were just speaking with Mickey Tripathi from ONC, who is a supporter of female founders and innovation and women leaders, which is great to hear. But let's talk about the big issue that's out there. We know that for um, women who are founding companies, they get 2.4% of the $15 billion, perhaps, of funding that's gone out there for digital health companies. And that's not a lot of money to do the innovations, particularly in the blockchain space, which we know is a heavy consumer of technology. Molly, how's your funding going? You know, I'm not I'm not experiencing a tremendous amount of pushback, which is great. Um, and I can't figure out if it's because people are just generally friendly and having a nice time at this conference. <laughs> they've had a cocktail. Or they've had a cocktail. Or, or maybe we're all tired. Or, you know, one of the things that I'm doing in my pitching, and I'm, I'm noticing this because the meetings are very short, is that I'm excited about what I'm building. And I'm finding that um, I'm able to bring people along in that excitement. And I think that's important. The amazing thing and one of the advantages of and one of the things I will forever be grateful for is Hash Health has such an incredible reputation, not only in Nashville where we are here, but nationwide in really bringing thoughtful and thorough products to market. And so the introductions that we have been able to garner um, and the street cred of Hash Health, I think has lent itself to potentially being taken more seriously. Um, but honestly, as soon as any one of us three or any of the founders at Hash Health get to the table, we know our stuff. We have been in the industry. We know what we're doing. We're building thoughtful businesses. This isn't about growth at any cost, which was something we just heard about in a session we all attended. This is about building a sustainable business that's solving a real problem. And these are all pain points that we've all experienced. And so the passion and the thoughtfulness with which we are taking this to market, I think, is actually refreshing um, for venture capital, you know, fund managers, general partners to hear about. I think we're very, we've been very lucky, at least as we've been sharing, it's, it's been a nice reception. 
I will, I, I will just push back a little bit on the luck. I always hear from so many successful women that there's, that, that there's luck involved, and there is. There's no, there's no question about it. But in my experience, I will just say the seriousness that you're bringing to the jobs that you're doing and the problems that you're trying to solve um, comes a lot from the people that you are. So that's kind of incredible, too, and I'd put more weight on that. You know, Raylin, as you um, look at sort of like the funding rounds that you've been doing or the early stage conversations that you've been having, how have those been going? for you? Our conversations are going pretty well. Peer Supply is actually probably the furthest along of the three of us here. I'm actively raising a seed round. I do have my co-leads identified. Again, I would echo what Molly said. I'm able to you know, stand on the shoulders of Hashed Health and the relationships that they have, and that's been amazing for us. Um, so I've been pretty well received. I, I think one of the things I struggle with here is supply chain, as you said, is you haven't heard it mentioned for, mm -hmm. for the last 20 years. So it's not a sexy business. And I'm you know, educating a lot of the investors and helping them understand where the opportunity is in supply chain and that it really touches everybody. That's been probably the most challenging part of my fundraising effort. What I would also hope for you is that it also might be um, a less crowded area to be in. And so maybe it might not, you might not have, um, you know, the most competitive uh, conversations out there. Hopefully you're in an area that you also um, can stand out even more. Lee, for you, it just is you're doing your, your rounds and out there, maybe it looks like a different angle on the same question though. You know, what are some of the challenges or some of the things that are easier than you thought perhaps as you're building platypus? Sure. So this is um, my first kind of go round when it comes to, to um, fundraising and I'm probably the like behind in, in terms of um, where I sit and then my fundraising round. Um, and I have maybe the opposite problem of Raylan. AI is a very sexy area to be in and a lot of investors want some sort of AI inside their portfolio. Um, and so the conversations have gone really well because everybody wants to hear about AI. And um, I think we bring a different flavor in that we're, we're really aiming to improve the process of AI, not just provide another AI point solution, right? And, and, and no diss to all the, the great organizations here that are providing point solutions, but we want to be a partner in, in improving the ecosystem as it pertains to AI. Um, and I will say from a fundraising perspective, I've really valued having two amazing women beside me. Um, I do not have um, a business background. So again, data science and, and really the, a dorky math background. But I've got Molly, who's got this uh, just amazing knowledge base that you can tap. And then Raylan, who's like a step or two ahead in terms of the process. And so I'm learning a lot from them. And I think that's really the beauty of the hashed model as well, is that we're all sharing what works, what doesn't work, who do you know, who do, you know, how can you make this connection and, and giving uh, words of encouragement, um, either you've been there or you're about to go through it and then providing that. And so I think that's really, really valuable. I mean, being at this event and we're all together. So we also have three other counterparts that aren't in this room. And I think it's sharing in that is, is really special uh, for us as companies that are all fundraising. Well, it also sounds like just, you know, the environment that you've got where you've got a cohort of other people who are doing similar things, different businesses, and they're tired. you're all mentioning that that's important to you. Um, being a CEO, though, the hard thing about hard things is that is a hard and lonely and tough job. So maybe for each of you, maybe Lee, we'll just start with you. So like, what is the hardest thing about building a company and being a CEO that you've experienced so far? 
I think it's it's de-risking it in your own mind and having the confidence to kind of approach that risk. Um, you know, I think it's really sad, but certainly true that women have a confidence problem when you walk into a room that's really male-dominated. I mean, in my field, very male-dominated. Um, and now I'm walking into that again. And so um, there's always this confidence factor. It is always nice to be sitting across from a VC who's a woman, right? It makes that conversation a lot easier because I feel like you can relate. But I feel um, my biggest challenge at this point is um, de-risking what I'm doing by getting, I know I have the confidence, I know I have the skill set, right? I've done this. I've lived and breathed the problem and built solutions inside organizations already. Um, so that shouldn't be a confidence buster. It should be a booster. But I think we always have to kind of de-risk what we're, we're out there selling and, and build that confidence within ourselves. Okay, so de-risking is a really important challenge and one that you're facing. Raylan, hardest thing so far for you? Oh, gosh. I, I would definitely relate to the loneliness factor. I remember the early days when, you know, good things would happen. I've had a, or I would have a high, high, and then scary things would happen. I'd have a very low, low. Mm -hmm. So my theme going into 2023 was, I think they call it equanimity, where I'm just this little floating boat out in the ocean and waves are going to come and I just try and roll with it all. And I try and stay as calm as possible. And I keep my emotions pretty tight and I just know there's going to be a tomorrow. And that, honestly, that change in my mindset, knowing that good things are going to happen, bad things are going to happen, and I just have to keep going, that's that's really helped me this year. Equanimity? Equin equin Equanimity. I haven't heard Word of that. Of the I, day. I am using it. I am really, I am <laughs> digging that. Molly, for you, hardest thing you've accomplished, not accomplished, hardest thing that you are facing Child as a CEO. Childbirth is the hardest thing I've accomplished. <laughs> say that. Congratulations on that one. Oh, thanks. It's a while ago. <laughs> was the hardest thing for sure. The hardest thing that I'm working through now, um, I think, is knowing it's being, having that sort of excited, scared um, mindset all the time. Like, I'm really excited for the future and what things can be. Um, and I'm a little bit scared about, you know, sort of delivering on all the things that I have in my mind I that I want this company to be. And then the idea that I have to back that out and go like, okay, one day at a time first you need to do this and then you need to do this and then you need to do this and like it can be this company will be this amazing platform um and have all sorts of tools and add value and i can see you know how it grows and becomes this thing um but it is kind of like a child where you have to sort of rear it one day at a time and you know keep it from killing itself and you know <laughs> things like that um but uh, like that's the hardest thing for me is like I want to like put my foot on the gas and go um, but I really do need to take one day at a time because you have to watch burn and your bottom line and all this kind of stuff so um, it's been tough um, in doing that but again we have this kind of awesome built-in support system of people who are in you know similar stages of their company um, we're not all selling to the same customer we're not even all in the same industry but we do have this support system and um I have other women leaders who I really, um, you know, meet with and challenged by. Have you thought about this? And this is a good coaching resource and things like that. So um, we have gotten a lot of support. But yeah, I, I think my 
mentality is put your foot on the gas, but it's like, hey, back up and be methodical. Give about yourself how you do some this. space and also, you know, some room to breathe a little bit. I think that's not yeah. just, you know, um, interesting commentary. It's really great advice um, for others. I, you know, just want to talk about so that so those are some of the hardest things. Um, but you know, and Lee, you talked about confidence, and women often talk about confidence as one of those things that is a challenge for them personally at any stage. Um, of their career. I'd love to know for each of you, and I'm sort of like, you know, Molly on you about the luck thing, which I don't, I think is less that from so many, but you know, what, what has been like an experience where you surprised yourself where you're like, wow, I didn't know I was as good as that as I actually am or something that you've discovered about yourself, not necessarily a superpower, but where does you feel like I've got this and you didn't know you had it last year. Lee, what about you? So I'm a nervous Nelly when it comes to um, pitching. I talk really fast. It's my tell. I know when I'm doing it. And so a lot of the work that I've been doing is to slow myself down, right, to, to have a better conversation. Um, it, you don't have to say as much to say as much, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, it was just the other day I was on the phone with a VC, and the conversation was going so good. And the ultimate answer was we're too early for that VC. I left that call and I was so giddy. I was like, they just told me no. And I'm so giddy because I slowed down and I felt great on that call, right? I had made an accomplishment that I knew I was coming to Vive and I knew I had to take that with me. And so it was like a win. Um, And my husband, who's nowhere near healthcare or in the entrepreneurial world, he's like, you, but he told you no. And I was like, well, yeah, but you know, it was, it was still a good no. And I know that, I earned, you know, whatever that was. Like I, I, I didn't feel nervous. I didn't, I didn't walk away going, I could have done more. Yeah. Um, it just wasn't a good fit, and I, I didn't walk away knowing that, that it could have been a good fit, and I just didn't do my part. Um, so that was a win for me. Yeah, um, not a no and go away, but yep. a no and come back That's at right. some other That's time. Right. That sounds like a great one, Raylan. What about you? I don't know if this is a great answer to your question, but it's what came to my mind. I, I think you mentioned this. I've been at this almost nine months or around there. And I remember when I first started, um, so I want to echo what Lee said. I'm a first time CEO, first time founder. So I struggled with acclimating to the fundraising environment and having those conversations and feeling valid in front of investors. Like, how did I get here? Am I really qualified? Do they really want to hear what I have to say? And it's been surprising to see the way I've evolved in the relationships that I've established just between the health conference in Las Vegas a few months ago and here. You know, I'm starting to see people and they want updates on peer supply and like that imposter syndrome in a way has has gone away over time and I've gotten more comfortable getting no's and it doesn't shatter my confidence and I just move on and I learn from it and I ask for feedback right there in that moment. Um, so that's a, that's been a lot of personal growth for me, but I can tell that I was so uncomfortable at the beginning, and I'm feeling more and more in my skin in this environment. It feels so good to start to get the skills. Where you're just like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Okay, that I'm not. I'm not. I might be new, but I'm not like not experienced as this. It, it's a great feeling. I know what that feeling feels like, and um, it's getting comfortable. Molly, what about you? You're just, I'm still waiting for the cocktails, Molly. And I'm I know, just like, I, I just like, 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 what is happening? I here? just want you all to know I'm really like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it <laughs> as much as I can and not disrupting the whole 
That will be my accomplishment. That that will be an amazing accomplishment. Uh, um, maybe almost as much as childbirth. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not certain. Maybe. Um, I think I was. I I left a great company and a great job, and it was hard for me because I, I knew that I could do this, and um, I did it. Like I just I came over, and. I, that to me was like, I left a job that I was nailing every day. I felt confident in, I was well compensated. I was learning new things. I was growing my skills. Like I was, I was happy. Hi, Jim. <laughs> that was my boss in the last job. <laughs> he was such a nice man. But I was like, I can do this. Like I, I can be a CEO. Like, come on, Molly, like leave the safe thing and do the thing that you know you can do. And that could potentially bring, you know, glory and wine and whatever you know the, the, what are the what are the things that you get when you're like a warrior in Greece and you come home and like there there is glory at the end of being a CEO but there is also loneliness and hardship and all sorts of things like that and so it was really scary and this is my this is my second company I've done fundraising before um it's not fun um, it's a lot of hard work and you can't take your foot off the gas during this process. And I didn't know if I was ready for that. Um, and I got here and I've been here for a couple of months and it's like, okay, you were ready for that. Like the gut, like the idea that I could continue to listen to my gut and that it would continue to be right. That, that was a big win. Um, and we do have a lot of support, but that was a, that was a big win. So you need the big wins because so equanimity, equanimity, I should have written, no, God, no. I hope I got that word right. Equanimity. So in terms of like the big highs and the big lows, there's nothing but variety in terms of what you're doing as CEOs, you know, on inspiring women, again, you know, you are fantastic CEOs already and you are inspiring others. And there, it is just absolutely true. There are not enough female CEOs and founders that are out there, you're doing it and you're an inspiration to others. So as we close out here on Inspiring Women, I would just love for each of you to share your advice to other women who are out there who want to be you. Okay, I'm going first. You can do it. You know your business. You know how to build a business. You've probably been a part of a business, maybe had a front row seat to help people build businesses. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to check all the boxes. Men don't check all the boxes. Come on. Um, it doesn't all have to be figured out. It doesn't all have to be perfect. And just go for it. Like if you have the support and you can do it and you, you can make that work for your life where you can just really focus on something and focus on it hard, like go for it. I, I think women are scared off because they don't have a perfect idea or if it's not all the way vetted. Like, I had to put up a website that does, does not look great. And I was like, whatever, I got to have it up. Like, you can do it. Like, I promise. This is how men leave the house every day. Um, and, and I would just, if you, if you have the opportunity to take a leap or you have an idea and you want to pursue it, like, like, go for it. There are hundreds and thousands or thousands of women that are women CEOs that will support you. There are uh, resources and podcasts and just really wonderful, positive um, partners at venture capital firms that will sit with you 
had a text message yesterday with somebody that was like, hey, I love this. You're inspiring. And I was like, this is the best community. And so if you're, if you're on the fence or you don't feel confident taking the leap, like there is a, there is a basket of women here to catch you. Awesome. Lee? So along the same lines of what Molly just said, um, I have three kids. There's a little bit of that de-risking where I'm like, what am I, am I doing the right thing for my family? Um, and you can have it all, right? And I'm going to quote something. I think it's from Sex and the City. But so don't, don't, don't. It's, not, it's not a professional quotation or anything of relevance. But it's, you can have it all just to stop expecting it to look perfect, right? And I think as women, we, we always think we have to look perfect look perfect, uh, be perfect, be that image of, of everything for everyone and um, let that go and, and just just do it. Um, you can't have it all. Trust me, like my kids, at times I'm like, I'm doing too much and taking too much time away from them, but I get to look at them and say, mom's building something awesome. Um, and that's really special for my daughter because I don't want her to have to sit not in your podcast room. I hope she's on your podcast <laughs> one day. But I don't want her to have to sit and hear 2.4%, right? Um, she shouldn't have mm-hmm. to do that. And we have to be that generation that, that prevents that generation from having to hear that statistic. And so, again, stop, stop thinking about what perfect means um, and go have it all. Um, do what you need to do because I think your kids and your wife and your partner, whomever, is going to really appreciate you because you're the best you you can be when you're you're pursuing something you love and something you believe in. Awesome. Raylan? Gosh, yeah. I, I think Raylan's wondering, how do I top that? That was so awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this will just get edited out, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think my advice is get out of your head. If anybody relates to me, right? I overthink everything. Get out of your head and just ask people. Just talk about it. Put it out into the universe. It is shocking. You know, women, men, anybody you reach out to, it, they want to help. It's surprising. You know, especially if you're someone like me. I'm, I'm in my early 30s. This is a big risk for me. This is a big challenge for me. I'm growing every day. I'm uncomfortable and I'm scared still. But I have a great network of people who some have uh, years more experience. Some are less experienced, but they're experts in something. And just reach out, have those conversations. Those people will guide you and you're going to learn something from every one of those. Um, and that's, that's made a big difference for me. Yeah. Well, it really sounds like the community that's out there that um, is important to each of you, but you are all inspiring. This has been a great conversation and I really want to thank Hash Teldon, Les Wilkinson for introducing me to all three of you. I'm Laurie McGraw. I've been speaking with Molly Moore of Bramble Health, Lee McCormick of Platypus, and Raylan Ray Wilson of Peer Supply. Thank you so much, all of you, for being on Inspiring Women. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Time for a cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.